Well, how did Joshua get to the battle of Jericho? What in the world happened to him that prepared him to do such a marvelous thing? One of the best well-known stories in the Bible, the battle of Jericho. Well, I think it's important that we realize that Joshua didn't just wake up one morning and say, hey guys, why don't we go up to that town, uh, Blackwell, oh, excuse me, Jericho, and let's just, let's just defeat that town. What do you think? Let's just go up there and let's just knock on the door and go on in and let's just whoop, all, whoop up on some people. I mean, that's how we kind of envision it sometimes, right? We envision just kind of waking up one morning, you know, and going, whoo, oh, Lord God, well, I feel something now. I'm being a Christian after all for three and a half days, <clears throat> and uh, I'm ready to go. Let's just go whoop up on some of those Jericonians, you know. I think that's the way it pronounce it. Joshua didn't just wake up one morning and just say, hey, guys, let's go whoop some people in this town of Jericho. But there were a few steps of preparation. There was some moving around in this arena of life experiences. Well now, each and every one of us, everybody in this room, we have all been thrown into this cauldron of experience. There is no way that we can avoid it. From the time we are born, we begin the learning process. We begin to understand what is happening around us and how we should in turn be integrating with this experience. And sometimes it does feel like kind of a swirling event, kind of a swirl of experiences. But what happens is that as we mature, then we begin to be that man or woman that God has intended for us to be. Sometimes at the beginning, we kind of think that we're ready to go conquer our Jerichos. I know at the beginning for me, I tried to conquer a Jericho or two, and the walls came tumbling down for sure, but it was on my head. So let's think about for a minute and make a few observations on the life of Joshua and see how that might apply to us today. Father, just open our hearts, open our minds, open our spirits up to you and to your word this morning and cause us to be able to reach out and to grasp maybe just a nugget of truth that we can take with us in this coming week. Then, Father, take us to those people who need to hear that nugget of truth that we have grasped. Cause us to be able to hear and to obey your voice, your word, and to find those people who just need to hear just one nugget that might change their life at that moment. We thank you, Father, today in your son's name. Amen. Bring us the first verse here. Joshua 
positioned himself for success. We've heard a lot through the years about success and about power of positive thinking. Those things, in part, are all true. Joshua had to position himself to succeed. In doing that, he made a decision early on. Show us the first verse. He made a decision. Numbers eleven twenty-eight. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aid since youth. He spoke up and he said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. So he had been Moses' aid. When we think of Moses, we always think of this man of faith, which he was. We think of this man of grandeur that went around performing all of these miraculous events and all of these things that, that he involved himself in as, as leader of the nation of Israel. But we forget that from the beginning, there was this young man named Joshua, and that Joshua had been selected and accepted. It's one thing to be selected. God has selected each and every one of us in this room for a life experience of ministry. But it's another thing to accept it. Sometimes we spend a lot of time arguing and complaining and thinking of ourselves more than we are. I know that when I first started in ministry, and I'll talk a little bit about that this morning maybe, I knew that I was going to end up a pastor of just a small church of 15, 20, 30,000. I knew that I was going to have radio programs that would beam out across the world and reach the hundreds of thousands. And Oh, I did have a radio program in Riverside, California that I think reached about 20. At least that was what they told me. I knew that I was going to have a TV station that was going to just just going to beam itself into the capitals of the world and oh yeah we did have a TV show once I think it went to Orange County California it might have reached all the way out into Anaheim I'm not sure it was it reached to all the capitals of the world you know yeah for sure okay so uh, so 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 I had all of these expectations when in reality, God was saying, hey, here's what I've got for you. Oh, yeah, 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 God got it, got it, got it. Oh, then why aren't you accepting me? Why are you spending all this time doing all this stuff that I've never destined for you? I've got a ministry laid before you from your youth. So let me tell you a secret that I've only told literally just a few people. When I was about four, maybe five years old, people say, well, a four and a five-year-old can't know where God's taking them and what he might do with them. But when I was about four or five years old, I watched my father preaching one night. Oh, wait, let me show you a picture. I got him here somewhere. Let me see him right here. Okay, here. There we go. There's a picture of my father. He's the one on the crutches. Lived his whole life walking on crutches. Yeah, that's him. 
Baptist. He was preaching one night, and he was just, my father was so emotional, so emotional about the Word of God that when he would preach, he would just weep and weep and just weep. And he had preached his heart out. He had given the invitation because back then, you know, this was the only place you could get saved, which I'm not being facetious. That's just the way it was, you know. And he had sat down on the podium, and he was sitting there. He was just weeping and crying. He was just broken before the Lord. And in all of my wisdom, as this four- or five-year-old, I walked up, put my hand on his knee, and I said, Dad. And he looked up, and he said, Yes, son. And I said, Dad, I don't ever want to be a preacher. And he said, Why would you say that? I said, too much. Amen. So sometimes we have difficulty accepting what God might have for us because maybe we see some of the things that surround that and we don't want to do that. We don't want to open ourselves up. I'm sure that Joshua had some feelings and some reservations when he got to Jericho. I imagine he probably was shaking a little bit. We'll talk about him walking around the camp the night before. So I'm sure that he was thinking, oh, Lord, I know that I know that you brought us across the Jordan River miraculously like you did Moses at the Red Sea. I know you've done all this, but what if I get to the Battle of Jericho and it's like all my buddies, things don't work out for me. So, so there's a lot of things that affect our willingness to accept what God has for us. So in understanding this patience that Joshua had, we have to understand that he accepted what God had for him. I don't imagine that Joshua thought at the very beginning that he was going to follow Moses for decades before he, would, before he would be released into his own ministry? I don't imagine he thought that, do you? Can you imagine spending decades, 40, 50, 60, however many years, under the shadow of somebody else, waiting to take your own place of leadership and ministry? doesn't mean that he didn't do a lot of things, and we'll talk about that. But when he began, he probably had no idea. I think he did know that he was on a track for success, but he probably was not aware of the timing that it would take for that success to come to fruition. He was not aware that decades later he'd see the fruit in his own life of being the leader of the nation of Israel. But he just said, okay, I'm Moses' Abe, and I'm comfortable with it. And he grew up under the wing of Moses. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine how much that Joshua wanted to reach out and start doing it himself? 
Can you imagine what he was thinking when Moses took his staff and hit the rock and the water came out? If I was Joshua, I'd have been thinking, yo, yeah, give me another couple of months. There I am. I got my staff, and I'll be going around Jordan's desert, and I'll be knocking on rocks. You know, we'll be putting little streams everywhere. But you don't see that in Scripture. Joshua was just always in the shadows. He was just always behind. So, patience is not in our vocabulary. Now, I know that you find this hard to believe, and so I I don't want to shock you, but at one point, some people thought I was a hippie. No, please, don't ridicule me. Please don't. We were so sincere. I had just come home from Vietnam, and it was time to make a little lifestyle change. Get the bell bottoms. It was time to get some elevator shoes, and boy, I could wear them too. Boy, they had soles on them. Well, maybe it was like that, you know. I see some of these women, and it's cool, don't misunderstand me. I see some women walking around in these high, high heels, and I think, how do they do that? And I think, well, 6970, we used to walk around like, come on, come on, you know, but we were cool. So anyway, so how did all of these hippies, all of these people that are all laid back and we just took life as it came Let's do. Let's all go sit down in this room that we've got, this little coffee house, and let's listen to some tunes, and let's just wait until God comes along and does something. Yeah, we'll be prepared here in about two weeks to take over his leadership here. But we just bounced around. I, I, I know it's difficult to, to, to analyze your own life, but I'm here to tell you that my first few years as a Christian, I felt like now, looking back, that I was in a pinball machine. I was just kind of bouncing here and bouncing there, bouncing here and bouncing there. And all the time, God kept saying, when are you going to stop bouncing around and start preparing yourself for what I want you to do? Oh, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, I'll get to that. Boom. Bounce around some. Boom. Bounce around some more. A couple of months over here. Boom. Five months over here. Boom. Six months over here, boom, bouncing around. And God kept saying, Dale, uh, how long will you try your patience, son? You know? And so finally there came a moment when this old semi-hippie had to go get his hair cut. Even shaved off my beard. Got rid of my elevator shoes. Not that there was anything wrong with them. Stopped doing my hair into this big red afro. Oh, it was beautiful. I loved it. You know, well, well, well. Yeah, well, I can show you pictures. I was styling. You know, and okay. Had to go stop perming my hair, you know. Back then, my barber, he said, like, haven't seen you around a long time, Dale. How do you expect me to perm that little bitty hair you got now, you know? Well, I'm just thankful that I still got some hair, you know. 
some of you were laughing and smiling at that. But I'm looking at you from this perspective, and some of you, I see some big spots with no hair. Yeah. You get all excited up there leading worship, and you're going like, meow, meow, meow. And I'm like, Jesse's got some hair. <laughs> Jesse, you're a free game. You've been here two weeks, three weeks. You're a free game. Okay, brother, I'm just, I saw you up on the stage this morning playing. You're a free game. Okay, just, all right, just, let's just, let's just deal with it. All right. We already love you, but thank God you've got some hair. So what I discovered in all of this was that I needed to stop being a pinball machine and I need to, to figure out how to get under the authority of a man or a woman of God, a man or woman of faith, so that they could begin to teach me and train me about the ways of the Lord. Of course, you've got to remember, in the late 60s and 70s, we didn't believe in authority. Well, we'd have burnt the government if we could have. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we would have. I look at these... Okay, I don't want to be political, but I look at these Antifa, I think is the way you say it, people today, talk about a bunch of lightweights. I'm like, what? You what? You've got a stick? What? you got a little can of pepper spray. What a bunch of lightweights. We were going to take the government over. Yeah, a couple of times we tried. Boy, that hurt. But I figured out that I needed to stop and submit. I needed to learn how to be patient, how to grow, how to mature. And so God sent me the first pastor that I ever set under in ministry was a, a, a lady. And she began, the we called her Glorious Elaine. Her, her name was actually Elaine Stoyer. But we, we had a little nickname for her, which we even called her to her face. I mean, we got a little nickname for Pastor TD, but we don't call it him to his face. You know. But if, but if he could get some bell bottoms and some elevator shoes. Now, I'm not just talking them little bitty things like some people have today. Is, yeah, you know. We need to get some big ones. Material about halfway up, three-quarters up to your knee. You know, get, it, get that hair of his. That hair of his, get it permed, get it all kind of up here. Boy, can you, boy, whew, I'm feeling something now. Boy, he could be raising the sick and healing the dead. And, or did I get that backwards? I forget. You got to be careful. You got to know what you're doing when you get out there to get ready to do it. Anyway, well, Glorious Elaine. Boy, what a woman. I'll never forget. Boy, she took me under her arm. And she began to teach me about faith and about ministry and about what it meant to do that which God had called you to do. And oh, you talk about, I had been raised in a family of ministers. But you talk about now as a young adult, talk about an eye-opening event. Boy, last time I spoke, I shared with you the, my thoughts about Brother Ted, God rest his soul, unexpectedly under the hands of my ministry. Remember I told you about him, you know. I'm 
out there, even in spite of it, going to raise the sick and we're going to hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, Lord, heal Brother Ted. Whew, that didn't work out. <laughs> I guess we better go to phase two and raise the dead. <laughs> that didn't work out. I think when probably I get to heaven, pray for me that I make it. I think probably when I get to heaven, probably Ted's going to be the, well, second. I'll meet Jesus first. But I think probably Ted's going to be in line right behind me. And Ted's going to go, <coughs> if you could have seen your face when I die. <coughs> I'm laying there sick. <laughs> Jesus is going, hang on, Ted, it's going to be quite the ride. <laughs> and he goes, you're out there, you know, boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden it didn't work out the way you thought it should. And he goes, like, if you could have just seen your face. He said, I thought you were going to die and go to heaven with me. You know, okay, but you got to learn. And in learning, you have to be patient. You can't learn if you're not patient. If you're not willing to learn the lessons that the men and women of God that you have submitted yourself to under their authority to raise us up, if you don't do that and find that safe place where you can succeed, as well as fail. It's important that you find that arena where it's okay to fail. There are some men and women, supposedly of faith, that if you're there as a under their ministry and you fail, watch out the door for you. <laughs> well, you know, get him out of here. He made me look bad on camera last Sunday. Get him gone. Get her out of here, you know, my word. Did you hear Sunday how she was off key when she sang? Get her out of here. You know, get some, I want to get somebody out. Get Vicky up there. You know, <laughs> I was the only one that laughed was Vicky. <laughs> all of you are afraid to hurt her. You're all like, get Vicky up there. Now, Vicky's a great bingo player. So just, just lift your hand, Vicky, wave. Hallelujah. B2, G9, yeah, she's a great bingo player. She warms my heart. But you have to find a place where you are able to succeed and to fail. You have to find that. So you got to get your nose, you got to get your nose to the grindstone. And you think my nose is big today. You should have seen it when I started out. God put me to the grindstone. Lord, you can't imagine how big it was. Don't look at me and laugh. You can't imagine how big it was back then. You know, it was big enough that I had it in everybody's business. So, was Joshua just sitting around sharpening his sword? oiling up his spear, looking around, going, yep, someday me and the boy, we're going to whoop up on them Jericho's. Yep, here we are. No. Joshua was being productive. He was out there doing the stuff. 
even though he was still every day learning. He was doing the stuff under the leadership of Moses. And so Joshua didn't just sit around sharpening his sword, but he was being productive. His productivity came from the leadership of Moses. The scripture says in Exodus 17, 8 to 16, it says the Amalekites, now I don't know about you, but just the name of these people kind of scares me. Um, okay? The Amalekites, the Philistines, you know. Oh, I'm thinking like, good, you know. All right, you know. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, boom, leadership says to the one growing leader. He says to him, okay, now what I want you to do, Josh, is I want you to choose some men and I want you to go out to fight the Amalekites. And then Moses said, oh, there's a little caveat here. He says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joseph, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had orders. He went out and did what this man of faith had told him to do and instructed him to do. And Aaron and Hur went to the top of the mountain. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under Moses, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then, of course, the Lord said to Moses, now write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, and he continues on. So what was was Joshua learning here? Here's one thing that I think that he was learning. He was learning a lesson on partnering together to achieve a victory. Yeah. Not only was he being productive and doing those things that God was calling him and Moses was endorsing for him to do, but in this instance, Joshua was learning that you don't get out there on your lonesome. That sometimes when you get out there on your lonesome thinking that you're just going to make it happen, you fail. And so Moses said, all right, Joshua, get on out there. Whoop them Amalekites. Go on, get out there, whoop them. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be up on the hill. And I'm going to be seeking the face of the Lord. I got the staff, you know, I got the staff of God, and I'm going to hold that staff up and get my arms up in the air, and when my arms are up, you're going to succeed. But when I get real tired and put my arms down, things aren't going to go so good for me. So what do we see? We see that sometimes without partnering together to achieve victory, we run the risk of failure. Moses' arms up, Joshua doing good. <coughs> Moses' arms down, and eh, not so good. Moses' arms up, 
Joshua doing pretty good. Down, not so good. But thank God for Aaron and her who held Moses' arms up. Even Moses needed men to come along beside him. Even he needed to partner together with people around him. So maybe I would think that Joshua, when he got back to the camp that day, he was probably thinking, and I'm, I'm taking some liberty with the scripture here, but I think when Moses got back to the camp, he had learned an important lesson. Find a younger man to get his arms up. <laughs> that up and down and up and down, winning, dying, winning. Oh, got a slash there. Moses, get him up, you know. Whoo, you know, winning here. You know, little stab here. Where's that Mo Moses? Where are you at? You know, get a younger man up there. His arms aren't, well, that ain't the way it works. So they all had to partner together. The Amalekites never would have been defeated unless Joshua heard what the Lord said to him through Moses and then Moses heard what the Lord said to him and said, take your staff and, and take with you Aaron and her. Take them with you onto the mountaintop too. This whole partnership has to begin to happen together. And we can't just leave little pieces of this partnership out. Moses had to gather together every part of the partnership that he knew that God was going to need to see this victory come about. So who really was victorious here? Joshua swinging the sword? Moses standing, Aaron, her, lifting the arms and found a rock for Moses to, who was the real victor here? Who really won the war against the Amalekites? God did. Because everybody did what God told them to do. So I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to be out there in the desert all alone by myself. I've been alone. And it's not a good place to be. And I've been alone so that I woke up in the morning thinking, Lord, it's just me and you. And I've gone to bed thinking, Lord, it's still just me and you. Come on. So we are successful when we find those men and women to partner with us, which Joshua and Moses and Aaron and her, which all of them did. Now, Joshua, he learned a real lesson about positivity here. Positivity carries with it, carries with it a, a reward. Remember when Joshua and Caleb and, and the other spies you can make a note and look it up. We didn't put it on overhead for you this morning, but Numbers 13, verses 1 to 3, and then jump down to verse 8. Just make a note of that. Joshua and Caleb, they were with some of the spies that went out, and when they came back, Moses said, hey, how'd it go, guys? What do you think? And most of them were like, oh, what do you think? Oh, Moses, uh, you ought to see them people. Oh, Lord, they're big. 
Uh, they got big swords. You know, they got big spears. You know, I don't know what we're going to do. They're going to kill us. Joshua and Caleb said, oh, yeah, check out these grapes. <laughs> check out the fruit of the land. I see victory. I see victory ahead. We can do it when we band together in God's name. Little did Joshua know that one of those links in the chain, Moses, was not going to be with him when he saw the victory. Joshua didn't know that. Joshua was just like, hey, it's been 50 years already or whatever. It's been 20 years out here. You know, it's getting ready to be another 40, you know. But, hey, we've always been together. I see victory. Joshua was being positive, him and Caleb. We're going to whoop this. We're going to do it. But he knew that, or at least he thought that it was going to be under the tutelage of Moses. Little did he know that there would come a moment in history when he would put his, have the priests, excuse me, put their feet down into the Jordan River at flood stage and that the waters would back up so he could lead the nation across on dry land just like Moses had done with his staff when he held it over the water and the waters of the Red Sea backed up. He didn't know that at that moment Moses was going to be up on the mountain watching Waiting. He couldn't go. Why couldn't he go? Because God told him at one moment to take the staff and hit the rock. And Moses was like, all right, all right. Then he got on down the road a little bit and God said, okay, now I want you to speak to that rock. And Moses was mad. So when he got mad, he lost control of his proper emotions and that link to God. And Moses knew that God had done this in the past, used the, the staff to hit the rock. And so Moses took the staff and said, I got this, God. These people are just, they're just, okay. They're just really making me mad. He took that staff and went, pow. And God said, okay, my people are, need water. All right, I'm going to give them water. Boom, cracked the rock. But Moses you blew it. Yeah. Now, now, Peggy and I, maybe some of you have, we've been to Jordan in the desert. And I'm going to tell you, it was a moving experience to stand by the rock and look at the rock that's still today pouring water into the desert and to see people backed up for half a mile with their jugs waiting to get water from this water coming out of this rock. It, I was just like, oh, my God. Oh. And these Jordanians are like, yeah, I remember when our prophet Moses, when he got mad and he hit the rock and instead of speaking to it like our God Jehovah told him to do. But we still got water. But doesn't change the fact that Moses got mad, lost control of his emotions, and did something that he shouldn't have done. God still knew that the people needed water, and so he gave them water. So, But Joshua came back, him and Caleb. Oh, they were pumped. We can do this. How about Exodus 24, 13 to 18? Can you show us that? When Moses sent out with Joshua his aid, 
And Moses went up to the mountain of God. He said to the elders, now wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you. Pastor has preached on this. Anyone involved in a dispute, you can go to them. I'm going to be busy. He says, but when Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days. The cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud and to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up to the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now remember, Joshua is there. Now I don't know about you, but this guy, Joshua, whew, by being where God wanted him to be, and learning his lessons from the, uh, the men who were in authority over him, man, he got to see some cool stuff. He's up the mountain. Moses is going, hey, hey, Josh. Josh, come on. Come on, let's go. Josh is thinking, oh, Lord, where's he leading me now? Moses tells the people, okay, I'm going to leave Aaron and her with you. You guys, if you got a problem while I'm gone, just let them think to it. Joshua, Joshua, come on. Joshua's thinking, got my sword, got my spear. Where's he taking me to now? He gets up on the mountain, and all of a sudden, the cloud descended. And here was God, Jehovah. Here was the God that they knew that if you looked upon him, you would die. And Joshua's thinking, whoa, cool stuff. Shield up. <laughs> Man, this is cool, Moses. Yeah, I kind of... Yeah, I'm liking it. He was probably scared to death those 40 days. He really was. He was if he had been me, I'd have been scared to death, but I'd have been learning. I'd have been probably just like Joshua, this mighty man of valor. I'd have been there. I'd have been scared out of my mind. We talk all the time about, oh, God, speak to me, oh, God. Just speak to me. Listen to me. You don't want God to speak to you. It's probably best if he just impress upon you thoughts. It's probably best if he just inspire you through the scripture. It's probably best if he gives you words of wisdom from the elders that you've submitted to. Because I'm here to tell you when God speaks, Speaks, I mean speaks, our frail human little body is probably not going to be able to endure it. I knew a pastor who talked about 40 days of prayer and fasting. This was Gloria C. Lane. She said, I prayed not fasted for 40 days. She said, and then I was there, and she said, I said, God, just speak to me. If nothing more, just tell me, call me by name. And, he, and, and God, God, he called her, of course, by her name, Elaine. He didn't call her, Gloria Elaine. And she says, all of a sudden, I heard a voice that said, Elaine. And she said, the force of that spoken word threw me across the room. And it tossed me into the wall. 
And she said, I fell on my face and said, forgive me. Don't ever do that again. Just kind of inspiring me is okay. Well, Joshua's up on the mountain, and Joshua is learning a new lesson. He's there. He sees the cloud. He hears this voice that God, Jehovah, is speaking to his master, Moses. He's learning lessons right now. In fact, that lesson was carried over after they had come back down from the mountain. Joshua stood at the door to the tent. Show us that verse. Joshua had learned about God and about his voice speaking. And so when Moses left the tent, Joshua stood guard. Joshua was there saying, uh-uh, no, don't go, uh-uh, no, don't go in there. No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, go ahead. Where's uh, Joshua? I don't know. He went in the temple. I told him not to. He's gone somewhere. I think that's his robe. You know, I'm being facetious a little bit. But Joshua knew about the power and the presence of the Lord. So Joshua, he guarded the temple door the tabernacle door, the tent. He guarded it when Moses was out. That was one of his jobs. Did he pick up that job on his own? I tend to think not. I tend to think that he understood what it was about, but Moses probably, when he came out of the, the tent of meeting the first time, Moses probably turned to Joshua and said, Joshua, go guard the door. Go on, Josh, guard the door. By this time, Joshua had learned he had experienced, he was beginning to mature. And so he knew that when Moses said guard the door, he was putting it all together and he was going, got it. I'm here, I'm guarding the door. So Joshua was being productive. Give me, give me just another couple of minutes, will you please? I know, I know it's 12, but give me just a few minutes. Joshua was prepared. He was prepared to face that big event, Jericho. And he was prepared. Now, in being prepared, have you got uh, Joshua 5, 13 to 15? Have you got that? Can you show us that? Now, in being prepared, see this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he said, are you for us or against us? That's a normal question for the leader of the army to ask. Are you my enemy or are you my ally? So he gets up there and he says, well, are you for me or against me? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and he said, what message does the Lord have for this servant? And then the, the angel of the Lord spoke and gave him directives and all that even the scripture doesn't record. So, Mo, so Joshua knew how to keep his mouth shut and when to keep it shut. Now that's a real feat in and of itself. Those of you that know me, I don't know, I don't keep my mouth shut very often. <laughs> I'm just saying, boy. If I got something to say, I just say it. I'm 
was like somebody says something, really? Here's what I think. You know? <laughs> Notice that the angel of the Lord told him to take off his shoes because he was standing on holy ground. Have you heard that before? Oh, I got an idea. Moses was on the mount with the burning bush. And God said, take your shoes off, Moses. Take them off. You're on holy ground. Okay, so Moses knew when to keep his mouth shut. Moses knew when to talk, and he knew when to shut up and listen. Now, that's something else that the man or woman of faith will train you on. There's been a couple of times when I've been sitting in an office, and we've been talking, and I've been... I can remember a few times when this man of God said, Dale, shut up. I was like... think he is tell me to shut up little did I know that he was preparing me to get married go ahead and smile it's okay so you learn when to shut your mouth then the second thing look at Joshua 6 1 to 5 Joshua 6 1 to 5 it says now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all of its fighting men. And then he gave, he gave Joshua very specific instructions as how to conquer the city of Jericho. Notice that, that God didn't tell Moses to get his sword out and go have... Have, have uh, Caleb lift his hands like Aaron and Hur had for Moses. God, God didn't tell Joshua to do that. God didn't tell Joshua to take his spear and smite the gate to the city of Jericho like Moses did when he hit the rock. God didn't tell him to do any of that. God was being creative. And God said, now here's what you're going to do. And here's what you're going to do in this instance. You're going to march around this city, and then on the seventh day you're going to march around seven times, and then after you've been around the city seven times, that's what I like. I know they took liberty with that song, but every time I hear them singing the lambing sheepers, and then the, and the trumpets begin to sound, and then Joshua is shouting, glory, Woo! makes me think of a Pentecostal myth pastor. Oh, God, wow, wow. <laughs> that's how I respond. I don't know about you. But, uh, you can respond differently. You can come out of the world and think you know. I told you about the first time I lifted my hands in church and then probably off the hook. You know, we're out there. God's moving and going. Whoo, it's powerful. Everybody in the church is just, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Wow, wow, glory to God. You know, I'm over there kind of like, Finally, I'm like, I'm going to do it. No, this time I'm going to do it. Glory! And everybody was sitting down. They were all looking at me. Pastor goes, don't worry, you'll get, you'll get better at the timing of this thing. <laughs> you know, it's better to do it when, like, everybody else is doing it. You know, but it's okay. Okay, so 
In closing, let me say this. If we want to set ourselves up for failure, then just stop listening to what God tells you to do in each event that you face. Just stop listening to his voice and trust me, you'll fail. It'll happen. Because God's going to say, hey, Dale, I didn't tell you to smite the second rock. I told you to speak. I didn't tell you to make mud and put it in their eyes. I told you to call for the elders of the church. I didn't tell you to go up with your spear and knock on the doors of Jericho or march around seven times. You know, we used to do that all the time. You know, He said, I told you to do this. So if you want to fail, then just stop listening to God and start thinking that we all got it in our hands and we're ready to go for it and we'll fail. Trust me, I've been there. I've done it. I've failed. And as I left, God said, it didn't work out too well for you, Dale. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but what do you think? And God says, later in life, God says, maybe you should have held Ted's hand. And maybe you should have said, boy, I think God's here. He's getting ready to do something great. Take you home, and I'm here with you. Brother, I'm here. I got you. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. I'm here. I got you. But instead, we went in singing, shouting, praying, praying, doing whatever we were doing at that time. Boy, we were going to, you know, do all of this. And God goes, whew, Dale, you don't need to come now, son. You know, people do die. And maybe you need to learn about holding them by the hand when they do it and let them go with some grace. Instead of kicking and screaming and trying to tell God what he's going to do, maybe you ought to learn to do what I'm telling you you should do. In this. There's a time to lay hands on the sick. There's a time to call for the elders of the church, but there's also a time to hold them by the hand and say, okay, you've run a faithful fight. You've run the race. Glory to God. Now, let me just hold your hand here. Believe me, church, it's a lot more difficult to hold their hand and look them in the eye and get the task than it is to close your eyes and get all steamed up about what you think God ought to do and go away a failure. Okay. Thank you for giving me a few minutes here. I apologize for being so long. I probably spent too much time listening to some of that gospel music and not, and not enough of Sly and the Family Stone. I could have picked out some other songs from them, but I, I just felt that the one, the one I picked out was best. I don't know. I could have. There was a couple that came to mind, but I thought no, those probably aren't appropriate for today. You know, but... Maybe the worship team will join us. I want to turn it back to Pastor. I don't want to leave it on a negative note because I want to say to you, though, be successful, but be successful under authority and do that which God tells you to do, not which we think we've got it all figured out to do. Do what God tells you to do in that experience. Your pastor's going to confirm it. You know, my pastor said, man, Dale, I don't know. You might be kind of out there on your own this time. Maybe you ought to back up. Not me, not me. I always knew what was best. All right, we'll let the worship team join us, Pastor. Come on. Thank you again. I'm, I'm sorry I went so long.